Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. division within our society, and indeed great division within families. Um, I, I think I made reference to a situation where a family had been torn apart because of their different viewpoints, and, and seemingly now the psychologists and counselors are saying that their people who are being referred to them are coming to them because they're suffering from very degrees of trauma caused by a sharp difference of opinion as to whether you'd remain or leave, and whether that will improve or not through the events of this coming week or two, well, time will tell. But it is amazing, isn't it? What can cause division? What can cause difference? Spiritually, as well as politically and socially. And this is a delicate matter, isn't it? Some of us are here and we had husbands or half-husbands who were brought perhaps up in the church, who came to, went to Sunday school, who even professed faith and maybe joined the church at one time, and yet are completely indifferent to the things of God, the things of the gospel. They, they maybe don't cause problems, or they didn't cause problems. They maybe would turn up at Christmas or other times, but generally just weren't interested. We can think of family. And I think of and Alan's brother David, brought up in the church, went to the same Sunday school, all the rest of it. Uh, not anti, perhaps, but indifferent to the claims of the gospel and the things of faith. Why is it that one thinks, yes, the aroma of life, and the other thinks at best, and sometimes actually can become quite anti and quite resistant? There's a mystery in all of that. And, and, and yet in all of that, we want to affirm that God is the God who calls men and women to Himself. And over these past weeks, as we've been looking at these foundations of the faith, particularly from the perspectives I've shared with you, Ella, from a more Reformed perspective, because that is the background to our own church and our own tradition, we've been thinking of how the human condition is such that anyway, humanly speaking, spiritually, we, we can't do anything. We are spiritually dead how God's grace in Jesus Christ alone has the power to make someone who's spiritually dead spiritually alive, and God does that because He delights to have a people down from the very beginning. He wanted to walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He's wanted to have a relationship with people because He Himself exists in a perfect relationship. We sang hymns at the beginning that reminded us, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that triune God who lives in perfect harmony. We've been made in His image. God said, let us make humanity in our image. So, we've been made for community. We've been made for relationships. And when these things break down, that harms us, and God's grieved over that. And of course, the ultimate breakdown spiritually was what took place in the garden all those years ago. And yet, even there, God had promised a rescue mission. There would be one who would come, born of woman who would crush the serpent's head, who would do death to the one who is the prince of death, Satan himself. And he does that, and he's promised that, and he provided that in Jesus Christ. And as we saw last Sunday, he's the one who comes who will save his people from their sins. So let's turn on our Bibles. Let's just draw on that little theme together as we turn this morning. Now, I appreciate this morning's a wee bit, so if you've got your sweeties, bring them out um, and pop them in, because, um, you know, you might need them. 
Um, if I need one, I'll shout out for it halfway through the service. Um, let's turn first of all this morning to John's gospel. Let's see what Jesus, and just by having a little dip into something that Jesus said, um, some things give us some insight into God's call and God's drawing of people to himself. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And this is Jesus speaking about himself being the bread of life. And we're going to read a few verses of this discussion that he's having with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees. When it says usually in the Gospels, when it says then the Jews, what they mean is not just the, the Jewish people. He's meaning their leaders, their spiritual leaders, the, the religious establishment, those actually who claim to know God and yet very evidently didn't. John chapter 6 and verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Amen. May God indeed give us help as we read and reflect upon His Word together. Whenever we come, maybe not us so much, but within the church there's always been that tension, always been that tension between the call of the gospel, God so loved the world, and that call of the gospel to go into the world to make the disciples. So sometimes, whenever you begin to mention that God has a people that he wants, that he has purposed a people for himself, and we're going to think a wee bit more of that as we journey through this morning, immediately we, we sense a tension. And in sense, there is that tension. The word of God from beginning to end uh, has that tension running through it. God has a particular people, the Jewish people that he called to himself, although not all of them were children of Abraham in the sense that, yes, racially, outwardly, they may have worn the signs of Abraham, but Abraham was commended because he believed in God's promises and therefore was counted to be righteous. And there were other people who were Jewish who, well, we know the story of the people of Israel, were certainly not children of Abraham. They didn't believe God, they didn't trust His promises, and that's why everything fell apart. And so from the very beginning, God's understanding of a people is not some racial thing, some outward thing, but of people who believe in God and in His promises. And the people of Israel anyway were called to be that light to the nations, that witness to the world. The prophet, especially Isaiah, is full of speaking of how the nations will come and will come to Zion and will recognize God and will throw away their weapons of war and we'll worship and we'll see what means to have God at the center of our life of our people together and they'll be attracted to that. Israel's judged because they failed to be that city set upon a hill that would draw the other nations to faith. And so there's that bigger picture of God's purposes and of his desire to have a families of nations. We've been singing about that in our song. People drawn from South America. Interesting enough, I don't know if it's the same in Bolivia, but certainly when I was in many years ago now in, in Brazil, we visited one of the prisons there in San Paulo, and I've shared this before, it was interesting, not interesting, nice interesting, but it was upsetting to see that the vast majority, in fact, the vast, vast majority of people who were in the prison were, were Brazilians of uh, either descended from the mixed race, from 
the slaves that had intermingled, or indeed from the indigenous people. Though remember, I told you before, in this big crowd of guys that was standing, there was a prison fellowship that Andrew's going to be visiting, prison fellowship there, and we were in this courtyard, um, and it certainly was an intimidating atmosphere. Some of you, I don't think many of you here, would watch Prison Break, a series of programs on television to give an insight into prison, but it was a bit like that, yes. Um, and, and we were certainly, you know, you could feel the tension in the air as we sang and as we witnessed, as a couple of the prisoners gave their testimony, very powerful thing to do in the middle of the prison, but yet all around at this barracks, there were folk looking out their windows, and you could sense the, the enmity in the air, and what was really sad was there were a group of guys, and yes, there were black guys, there were, there were as I say, either the descendants of marriage of the slaves or whatever, or the indigenous people, over in one corner, apart from one white guy, one white lad who was in the middle We'll not go into the details as to why he was never kept safe by these other men. Let's just leave it at that. But he was there. And I still remember as they walked away, kind of, and walked away, this guy, the white guy, turned and looked back. God has his people. And even in the most inhospitable environment, the most awful environment, the most God-forsaken, the most, inverted commas, hellish of environments. This is the promise. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will is everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And we do pray for Andrew, we do pray for all these ministries in these most awful situations, that there'll be those who will look and believe and receive that gift of life eternal. And so, there's that wider application of the gospel. God so loved the world. But look what Jesus said. Look what Jesus says. Um, but as I told you, verse 36, you have seen me and still you do not believe. And so it's perfectly possible for Jesus to be presented in word and in deed, for the gospel, for the good news to be presented in word and in deed, for the claims of Christ to be presented in word and in deed. It's perfectly possible for that to be done, and yet for folk to see and still do not believe. Why? because by nature we're spiritually dead. And again, this is delicate. I appreciate that. But, you know, a dead person you can talk to as much as you like. As I used the illustration a few weeks ago, that funeral where that poor dear woman screamed out, you know, come back and jumped over the front of the platform of the pews at uh, Daldawi Crematorium and ran up and grabbed hold of the coffin and shouted, come back to me and all the rest of it. We can do as much as we like. Some of us have been in times when that's been the case and we've shouted to the top of our voice the cry of our heart and yet the person is still dead. And so reality is that people are by nature spiritually dead. Paul writing in Corinthians talks about the things of God being discerned by the Spirit of God, their foolishness. To, to people, people who are the Greeks who are looking for wisdom or signs or wonders and their, their foolishness. And for the vast majority of people in our society today, the claims of Christ, the good use of Jesus and all the rest of it is just, at best, well, if you need that to prop you up, to keep you going, to kind of, you know, see you through, then okay. But I don't. It's nonsense. 
It's not relevant. Jesus says, you have seen me, still you do not believe. And then he goes on to say, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will, who, who, will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. I will not lose any of those that God has given me. Those that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will never drive them away. The work of God, calling people to himself, preparing the ground, sowing the seed, stirring the heart, opening the eyes. And I know that's been the experience of some of you here. That was the experience of Alan, poor Alan Bush, and he stayed at home at Burnside using him as an illustration. Didn't tell you that when he came. All those years ago. And there was that day, in those, those times, youth fellowship was still quite big, wasn't it? Yes, I mean, when I went at first in 1978, there was about 70, I think there was, yes. Ah. Remember, there was a show party. The, the, the youth fellowship was so big. Um, in fact, the, the girl, Linda Chapman, yes, um, she lives in Burns, she lives in Livingston, and she's a member of the old parish, and she and her husband, well, her boyfriend, her, her husband at that time, um, they organized a big big pantomime thing, a big play, Christmas play, and I went along to it, and I tell you, it was an eye-opener. If I'd gone back home that night and told my mum and dad, who were really quite old and quite strict about all these kind of things, what actually went on at the show party, I don't think I'd ever belonged back to the youth fellowship. <laughs> and ask me later. You can hear, you can see, but God has his people. I sensed that in Allah's heart all those years ago. God, the Father, at work, drawing. Whoever the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. And I will never lose those who put their trust in me. Security there, assurance there, and also great humbling truth. I've chosen Jesus. No, you haven't. God chose you. And how does he do that today? Well, of course, Jesus isn't present, but Jesus himself makes it clear. If you want to move on just briefly to John chapter 14, and I do appreciate this morning, this is a bit more teaching perhaps traditionally, would have been on a Sunday night. The truth of the matter is, dear saints and brothers who I love dearly, you won't come out on a Sunday night, so you're going to get it on Sunday morning. Because <laughs> traditionally, it would have been a Sunday evening. You'd have done things like this. At least in my tradition, anyway, isn't the case? That's, evening was the teaching. But, well, we don't do that. We don't come. So, here we are. So, listen to what Jesus has to say, talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, he says this, I will ask the Father, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Again, that clarity that the world cannot accept him or sees him, spiritual blindness or death. And that should help us, therefore, not to harangue people or argue with people or hassle people into trying to believe because it won't work and actually do more damage. But where the Spirit is at work, 
The world can't see him, because I it sees him and knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Then again, verse 25, all this I've spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And then he goes on to say a verse that's often used at funerals, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Remember what we said last Sunday, Jesus is a great peacemaker. It's the Holy Spirit that enables that reality to become true in our lives and to bring us into that place of peace. And then later on in John chapter 16. Verse 7. Very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, look what Jesus says. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak in his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you, and all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what He will make known to you. There's a song we sometimes sing. It's a lovely song. I've always felt uncomfortable about it. Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. And there's the last line. What is it, Spirit? We well, actually, that, I suppose theologically, that's not right. We sing it because, you know, it's not right. The Spirit's job is not to be glorified. The Spirit's job is not actually to draw attention to Himself. The Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus, to make Him known and to bring us into that right relationship with the Father. There, I'm, we're going to still sing it. Not that hard line. <laughs> but nonetheless, Jesus makes that clear. He's the one. So that prompting, that stirring in the heart, that questioning that you've had, you, you know, is there a God? And, and yes, there is. And how do you find out more? And listening to somebody, somebody speak, somebody who may not even be particularly eloquent, somebody who may be, you know, well, Paul sitting in church this morning, you heard, you heard Roland, didn't you? Now, he was a university lecturer, wasn't he? And, and, and he works from Cambria, Mount Vernon, and Carmyle. And people said, to, well, when it was there recently, people said, oh, Roland, when he speaks, it's a bit like a lecture. And they'd be thinking, this is like a lecture. I don't know. But, you know, it's a bit like a lecture. But he was a lecturer. And yet, when you heard him, you heard the Word of God. God's Spirit took what was said, not through eloquence, not through fancy tricks, not through, you know, the man swinging from the chandeliers or anything else. God took the Spirit the Holy Spirit, and God took His Word and applied it to Paul's heart. Hence the reason why it's not like, I don't get any credit. I actually thanked Roland when I met him a few weeks ago, a few months ago back at Carmel, for his faithfulness to be a channel of the Spirit of God. Taking from Jesus and making it known to him and to us. And how he does that, and even why he does that, it's a bit of a mystery. We said on Wednesday afternoon, I think we did, didn't we? Emdy who says they've got to all sewn up know the answer. <sighs> we don't have a clue. Isn't that right, Ian? More the mystery of God's purposes. We just stand amazed and in awe of Jesus. The Nazarene. Let's sing together a hymn. We've sat long enough. Let's sing together a hymn.
Well, please be seated and let's press on now to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. So we've spent some time thinking of the mission of Jesus and the call of God through Christ made real to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. And then this is God's purpose. Now, just as we turn to Ephesians, if you want to, if you're keen, later on, read on in Ephesians to that mystery of the gospel. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 3, how God has revealed the mystery of the gospel to him and to the apostles and to the prophets, and that God's purpose is that you should have a people. Well, this is the same theme being worked out here, slightly more, let's say, succinctly. Romans 8 and verse 28, and a verse that we're often familiar with, and we know that in all things, God works for the good, but notice what it says, God works for the good of those who love Him. So, there's our response of love and of faith, but notice what the other side of the coin. So, we're always this tension, there's two sides to the coin, our response of love and faith for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And Paul, in a sense, then opens up what he means there. He says, for those God for you, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. There's a wee house in East Kilbride that I pass by sometimes when I'm up East Kilbride. It was a little bungalow, we well, council, it was East Kilbride Development Corporation, and, and it's a wee half, and I, and I sometimes think, and I mean, it's never gonna happen, and Greg, I better not tell his mom that's my plans for my retire, but anyway. Um, but sometimes there's a bit in me that kind of romantic kind of says, oh, it'd be lovely when we retire if we kind of move back into, why that little house? Well, that's because it was my grand's house. And I have very fond memories of being there with her, Way back, well, the boy, the kids were right, way back in the 60s and 70s, early 70s, and playing in the garden. And there's a bit of me that would like to go back to that. No, it means nothing to Elizabeth, so we'll not be doing it. Hi, <laughs> 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 right, guys, we know, we know where to draw the line, don't we? Uh, grace doesn't extend that far. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? That we, we have this, perhaps we don't, and that's the sad thing, we don't. And that's, and that's another story. But for many of us, hopefully, we've got an image of somewhere we would like to go back to. Well, in a sense, that's because God has always had this purpose. In a sense, to wind back the clock, although time doesn't really mean anything to the eternal, unchanging God, but he wants to go back to that time. You'll be fed up me saying this, when he walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, when there was peace, when things were the way they were meant to be, when men and women lived in harmony and in love and in security and in assurance, and they lived in intimate connection with their Creator, God. And the story of the gospel, the story of the Bible, is all about God's rescue mission, God's plan for that. Paul mentions it and dips us in here. That in itself could be a whole series of sermons for somebody far more able than myself. So perhaps even there'd be something you fancy doing a series of expository sermons and expanding that. You're welcome, brother. Um, but this is what it says in verse 20. For, God, for those God for you, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I mean, that itself, you could, you could go on and on about that. So, God has this burden that he would have a people, in a sense, back to what they should have been. Eden restored. Although, interesting in the Bible, when Eden's restored, it's not a garden, it's a city. That itself is a big story, but that's, that's another line you could run with. It's now nearly 20 to 12. So. Uh, but you see his purpose? That's his big purpose. John, you don't need to look this up, but we, we, I made reference to these verses the other Sunday. And, and, but First John, and First John, these lovely verses, I know they're verses that are actually a favorite of my good friend, John, um, John Fairfax. And First John, the end of chapter 2, um, verse 28, now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. You know, we can read that. Just read it. But if in truth the Spirit of God is at work within us, then I hope this morning as we read it, we get a week and a half. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. We should be called children of God, and that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Notice again that division, that division. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known, but, when that, but, 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 but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That's God's big purpose. And that's what God is at work. And notice how back to Romans, and we're only going to do this section. We'll do the next section next week. Um, I think you're away next week, and you're well. There you are. You just need to go and listen to the podcast for the bit from Peter. For those, back to Romans, for those God for you, he also predestined. Now, these words, and these words that's repeated in Ephesians, these words that God, you know, made clear when the people of Israel you know, remember, we did Deuteronomy, and, and, and to be fair, I, I say that, and I know we don't remember, but the reason why over the years we've done these things is actually to construct a system of theology, strangely enough. So, next time anybody says, oh, grand, what are you going on about? Says, Can you say, I'm a theologian? There we are. I'm a theologian. Then we don't have any qualifications for the university, but when God by His Spirit starts teaching us from His Word, then we should, and I hope after 20 years, we do have some framework to our faith. And remember Deuteronomy, and back what God said then. Why do you know God says, you know, I didn't choose you because you were the most, you know, the nicest looking people, or because I knew you were going to be most faithful, or, or, or anything about your military prowess or anything else, because let's be honest, they weren't actually very good. When they were on their own in battle, they were pretty disastrous, actually. They kept getting defeated. They only won because God was on their side. I chose you simply, in a sense, simply is not the right word to you, but out of just my grace and my mercy, so that you would be a people who are conformed to the image of my Son, so that there is nothing. We cannot claim credit for anything. We can't say, well, I'm quite like Jesus anyway, so it'll not be much of a job to get from where I'm like to where I'm going to be. That's not the case, brothers and sisters, I'm sorry to tell you. And God before the foundation of the world had purposed a people for himself. 
and God works for the good of those who love him, and the good for those who love him isn't that things are going to be nice, but that through whatever happens in life which may not be good, being martyred for the faith in Iraq, having to minister perhaps in a place of great opposition and trial, going through great bereavement or loss, losing your job, whatever it may be, that's not a good thing, but God can and does use these things in order that by his grace and mercy we become more like Jesus who was forsaken and rejected and abused and left alone and yet was the son of God. And God's call, notice what it says, those he predestined he also called. Remember the disciples? Come, follow me. And immediately we're told in the gospels they left their net and they were drawn. There was... I was going to say a fatal attraction. Again, fatal is not the right word to use, but there was just that draw of the Spirit. I know not why, but I was drawn to believe. Called by name, personal. And we're called so we can stand in the court of heaven and be justified, be regarded as being right, legally clear of the offenses. There'll be the big list of my sins, which will be so long, it'll take, you know, forever to read out. All the different ways in which I've broken the commandments, because Jesus makes it clear, it's not just actually doing the thing, it's thinking about it. Imagine with the brass neck, that'll be just as well, we're all going to have the same problem, so we'll, know we can, I'll look, we'll look at that list, you know, because we'll all be aware of our list. And the call of guilty, should be spread out and will be read out. And Jesus has stepped forward and say, and I've paid the price. 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 And you, the guilty one, goes free a line from a song, all these songs that we sing as well, the theology of that. And notice as we finish, those he justifies, he also glorified. Now, I'm not, as you know, an expert in Greek. I've enough trouble with the Queen's English. But actually, in the Greek, is a past tense. So, what actually Paul's saying is, the job's done. When Jesus cried out, and again, I said this to you, when he said, it is finished, and people looked at him, thought, it is finished, look at him, you know, blood-soaked, broken, you know, disaster, seemingly, everything else. It is finished. The work of God has been accomplished. And for those who are in Christ already, glory has been won. Glory filled my soul. And therefore, we are inheritors. That word again that's used in the New Testament, inheritors of what He has secured for us. The Holy Spirit, a deposit, Paul tells in Ephesians, of the inheritance that we will receive. That is all the work of God. Full, free, sufficient. And there's nothing any of us have done to deserve it. Oh, happy day. And we'll draw, we'll come back to the next bit next week. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice. Notice again, 
my, fixed my choice. Yes, my response, but fixed my choice. On thee, my Savior and my God. Well, may this glowing heart rejoice and tell its raptures all abroad. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.